What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast here alongside John LaRocca. Happy New Year, everybody. This is our second show of the week. I did a show with Ryan Pike and Will Cooling on actually on actually New Year's Day. So if you want to hear some Wrestle Kingdom preview talk, and I'll talk a little bit about it with John uh, later in this show. And uh, Will Cooling actually had a lot of really cool stuff to say about the UK scene and, um, you know, Triple H's comments on, on, on their UK project and everything. So it was a pretty fun show. So check that one out. But John and I are here to do our normal thing. We'll talk AEW. We're going to talk uh, the WWE, uh, the, the WWE Raw angle between uh, Lucif, Rusev, Lana, <laughs> Lashley, and Liv Morgan. We'll talk uh, a little bit about um, Dynamite. And then we'll do our first segment for the new We Want Flair that uh, we've been hyping up. So we'll also talk a little bit about that schedule because we have all of the first six months of We Want Flair laid out. So long introduction, but John, what's going on? It's going good, man. Back, uh, I'm back at work now after three weeks off and we're just still adjusting here to a tribe of five now. So uh, Party of five. Yeah, party of five. And they just they just rebooted Party of Five on the Freeform Network. Yeah, it's BS, man. <laughs> and by the way, I'm doing like this really deep dive into the Boy Meets World right now. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh Mr. Feeney, man, is a great teacher. That's all I gotta wait, say. So uh, <laughs> uh wait, Big Van Vader and saw this, uh, saw Mankind that. both show up in that really? show at some point. I think I so. I saw the Big Van Vader one. Uh Katrina, she wants to watch like when they're in high school, but I'm like a completist, so I have to start from the beginning. So I'm like mm-hmm. still on season one, like episode six or something like that. So <laughs> I'm catching here and there, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's a fun, a fun little show, but you know, important show for a lot of people that grew up watching it. So it's it's been it's been a, it's been it's been interesting, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm sh- I'm sure Topanga was like a m- several million young boys' first crush. I well, yeah, I remember she was at PWG like what, a year or two ago, and mm-hmm. all the guys around that age would be grew up watching that show. We're just going nuts and taking pictures with her and stuff. So yeah. So uh, actually, there's a little bit of news before we we jump in. Uh, someone you know very well, mm-hmm. a good friend of yours, Jr. Kratos is going to be on the February All Japan Tour. I had two separate people message me about this who are uh, who are there. I guess the, there was, uh, was Kento Mihara and Jake Lee main event tonight, and uh, and they both sent me a note saying, hey, you know, they announced the February Tour and J.R. Kratos is on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was sworn to secrecy since, like, early November regarding this. So I'm glad it's out now, and I'm excited for J.R., and this is a big, big opportunity for him, and... He's really, really excited, and I, I, I know he's going to do really well there, and and they're going to love him. The fans are going to love him. I mean, you know, I booked him for years and years, and he's such a pleasure to work with. I mean, I wish I had like twelve Gr Kratos on the show, you know, just because he's always professional, um, gets his all, um, just easy to deal with, and and just and then someone you want in your locker room and. And uh, he's, uh, I think the fans are really going to enjoy him. I think he's going to do that style really well. He has a lot of different things. You know, he's not just a power guy. He can, he can, he can wrestle. He can, um, he has his Muay Thai stuff he can throw in there. And his submission stuff too, his catch wrestling submission stuff, which he, you know, trained with Josh Barnett. And um, 
you know, worked on the Bloodsport shows. He did really well on those uh, two Josh Barnett shows and will be on fe- the future one coming up soon. So um, I'm just happy, man. I'm, I'm super excited for this and I can't wait to watch all those matches. And and um, like I said, I think he's going to do really, really well. So And then it's going to be tough though too, you know, he just had a young baby. So hats off to his lady, you know, letting him, you know, live out his dream and take this opportunity. And, you know, it's going to be tough for him too because I know he's going to miss his family. But same time he's he's doing what he loves and and they support him so that's 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 really cool yeah something to keep an eye on and it's always great to see someone who you got to see at least for me you obviously were were uh were booking him but someone like jeff and and jr to see them kind of broaden their horizons a bit and and go out there and and uh you know do something that they that they dreamed of is it's it's really awesome to see so good luck to jr and uh i hope that uh i hope that he gets many many chances to to continue to go out there and hopefully that even opens up more stuff uh, around the u.s too yeah yeah no I, you know he's a guy you know i always wanted him to be out there more often in other promotions and and you know this is he's really making a push this 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 time around and and i hope uh with blood sport now this now all japan you know other promoter promotions will be taking taking a look at him and bringing him in and he's definitely worth the investment all right let's uh talk about this monday night raw angle the payoff technically i mean they've been like hyping this thing forever which is the rusev lana lashley and now Liv morgan is uh she's made it a foursome uh the the payoff to the whole thing i did i didn't watch it like i was tempted to watch it but then i was like you know what i'm not gonna watch it because i know that it's gonna frustrate me now from what i've seen from the folks who liked it and didn't like it if you stick with Raw and you generally watch from week to week and you don't hate watch it, you know a lot of people hate watch Raw. For those people, have, those people seem good, like that's a good right? way. To, that's a good way to put it. Like hate watchers, like they hate it. They say they hate it, but they were they're there every Monday because yeah, it's because it's their routine. They've been doing it since yeah. they were kids. Hate uh, watchers, um, and that's it. what I. That's why I stopped watching. I didn't want to become that person. Like I didn't want to watch something and then just complain about it and feel like it was a waste of time. I'll just do something else, and then if they, you know, do things that I'm interested in, then I'll mm-hmm. then I'll come back. But if you generally enjoy watching Raw, it seems like you enjoyed the angle. And if you were not someone who enjoys watching that show and you came back specifically to watch the payoff of that angle, it seems like those people didn't like it. So where did you fall in in the, the middle of that whole thing? I'm not a hate watcher, but I also don't watch every segment anymore. Now, like I really, because it's three hours and and you know late at night and you know now three kids, so I'm tired. So I kind of like to pick and choose my segments. Like I really I watched Alistair Black and and Buddy Murphy had a great match, really good match on TV. I heard that was really good, really good. And I was curious about the Randy Orton angle with with um with AJ Styles and that was really well done. And then I watched the wedding and it was, you know, brought me back to a time of the attitude era where it's just, you know, it's wrestling weddings. They're, they're supposed to be kind of campy and goofy and and I thought actually Lana was fantastic. You know, she's so easy to hate and she really played her role really well. Um, Lashley's great too. Like Lashley, just he, he he's he's he might not have the personality of a Hulk Hogan or something like that. Like he never was blessed with that kind of personality, but he he can all he has a lot of expression with his face and the way he you know he just he just 
he's just doing a, a really great job in this role. My only issue was was I thought it went a little too long, like the teases of, you know, first her ex-husband from when she was 18 and his first ex-wife, which I first thought it was going to be like Crystal Marshall. That, out, <laughs> that, that would have been awesome. Would, I thought that would have been fantastic. I thought it was her at first, too. And um, it was, she was some local indie girl. And what kind of irritated me about her is that when she got in the apron, the fans were chanting her name. And she kind of gave like a little look to like, I was like, oh, stupid ass. Just play your role. Don't don't be marked for yourself. And then um, I didn't like the, the you know, we knew this Russo, Rusev, Rusev, <laughs> maybe wrote this. Um, Rusev was supposed to come out of the cake, right? There's a big cake there. You know, someone's going to come out of it like they all do in these kind of, in these kind of angles. I thought it was just missed time with Rusev came out. I don't know if he had trouble coming out or what it was. <laughs> it just doesn't like uh, that big of a moment. Or maybe because people just now expect him to come out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That cake. So, um, the Liv Morgan stuff, I, I, I was fine with it. I thought that was interesting. I'm curious to see where they're going to go with it next. And But my, my enjoyment was basically Lana. I think I thought she just was fantastic. You know, the the Liv Morgan piece of this, I think, is an interesting story and idea. And I when I when I read what happened, I immediately thought back to the Billy and Chucky thing from, you know, 15 years ago or however long that was, where WWE was like purporting this thing as like this, like very (laughs) new age liberal relationship. And then the payoff was like so cheesy and like so like low down, dirty shame WWE. And in this sense, I thought, okay, they are trying to. Uh, you know, obviously, it's it's a Paul Heyman thing, right? Like he's done this before. This was a this was an angle, you know, that he had done previously, or at least remnants of one. And I immediately thought, like, this is one of those times where I think Paul is a little bit behind in the times as far as what works now for this night and for the ratings obviously were 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 pretty good for it like you know that that third that when we say ratings pretty good now what we mean is like that third quarter hour didn't die like it actually almost held up completely and i think Mm -hmm. it's probably mostly thanks to that angle but there was just this thing in me where i was like okay like i get trying to be shocky but like look like we are in 2019 2020 and that doesn't shock anybody anymore like it just looks lame when you pull back and you go okay what are they really trying to do oh they're trying to use homosexuality as like this shock value it's not shocking like everyone you know we all uh know some you know know a a same-sex couple or a married same-sex couple or whatever so that part didn't really work and i thought was a, a little bit antiquated uh, but otherwise, like I can't really blame them for for doing something that actually worked. Like for once, they figured out a way to keep that third quarter or that 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 third hour up. And kudos to them, like they figured it out. Which which actually leads me to what I wanted to ask you next, which is, are we going to start seeing a lot more of these like long soap opera ish storylines on Raw? Yeah, I think you will. I think they're definitely going to. Um, I hope they don't try to rush something out there just to, you know, get a rating. I think what made this work, even though a lot of times it didn't see people didn't seem like people were that into it. You know, sometimes the crowd reaction was down or whatnot. This crowd actually this this Monday was a lot hotter than it's been. Um, I think if it's you know if you really take your time with something and give it a few weeks, I'm talking about you know four to six weeks 
Um, the payoff when you do the final, you do the sum of a payoff. It, you know, uh, the, the climax of the story. Um, I think uh, it'll, it'll definitely do a good rating. So as long as they are able to space it and pace this thing out, uh, I, I'm, I'm totally for. I'm totally for it. And I think Heyman's pretty good at that. I think he's. He generally doesn't like to rush stuff. Um, he probably would like to go longer with stories than, than he's probably allowed to because, you know, there's has to get those ratings up. And so he might pull the trigger a little quicker than usual. But, you know, I, th- I think you will see it. I think it's okay. I think you need to change. I think Raw needs to be different than SmackDown. I think SmackDown on Fox, you're not going to be able to do this kind of stuff. But on USA, you can. So I'm all for it, and plus, you know, people have been complaining. Or I always talk about the the golden age, the Attitude Era, and, and stuff. And you know, the Attitude Era, we had some really great wrestling, some really big stars, and they had some wacky stuff too. That was a lot of fun. And so long as you spread out the wackiness, and you know, do, don't do it weekly, I think it's okay. So, and with the success at this angle, I think we'll definitely see some 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 of that stuff coming up in the near future. All right, uh, you know we usually compare and contrast the two shows NXT against uh, AEW Dynamite because they are head to head. This week was uh, it was a recap show for NXT. It was a, it was their awards show. They did um, they did lots of uh, you know lots of uh, clip stuff and they showed old matches from the year, all, all their best stuff. So it was really really good stuff, but. Um, it wasn't uh, live TV. It wasn't anything where they're, you know, they're going head to head with AEW. But still, I mean, it, depending on who was interested, it still could do a halfway decent number. I'm guessing because of the of the great wrestling. But the only the the, the newsy stuff to come out of that was uh, the brackets for the Dusty Rhodes uh, Tag Team Classic. So I thought it was kind of interesting that. Um, I, I thought, well, I was like, well, they have tons of teams that they could, this could be like a gigantic, like Crockett Cup style tournament based on how many teams with the UK brand, with 205 Live, you can put teams together. But it's it's a small tournament. There's only eight teams. Um, and, uh, and you know, they are using the Dusty Rhodes name. It looks like, you know, Cody, I guess, uh, I read in the Observer that Cody was totally fine with them, uh, with them using the name. So uh, what, what were your initial thoughts about the bracket as it came out? I mean, the brackets, they're pretty loaded. I mean, the, t- the eight teams are really, really good teams. So I, I would like to see it go to 16 teams. I think WWE has enough talent from the NXT UK brand and the NXT brand. And also, you know, guys from 205 Live, I mean, you know, there's a lot of good teams you could throw out in the first round. And I would like to see them stretch it out a little more with 16, but, you know, I'm okay with uh, what they have out there for eight. And I believe they've done eight last year, too. I mean, the last two years, it's been eight. So a little smaller tournament. So, um, yeah, I, I really like the all teams, Imperiums. I love those guys because they're fantastic. Um, you know, you have Riddle and. And Pete Dunn's going to be a great team. I think, I think they're going to be in the finals. Um, that, that's my favorite team. I saw they—they they were actually the best part of that live NXT San Jose mm-hmm. show that I saw was them tag teaming together. Um, got Gallus from NXT UK. They're—they're—they're they're, they're really good. Um, who else is in that? The Forgotten Sons are talented. I mean, you got—you got a lot of group. You got a good good group. There's Kashida and a mystery partner, which is interesting to me. Um, I'm not sure who it is just yet. I don't know if, you know, but uh, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I kind of thought it was uh, Ikiman Kurishio from Russell One. I believe he signed with WWE. So, 
Um, it could be him, but I, it's also a mystery partner, so I don't think he's that well known here in the United States. So why would it be a mystery? So it right, could be right. it could be Velveteen Dream. I think he would be a, a a good surprise when he comes back from his back injury. Um, and I mean, I have a couple of other speculations, but I don't want to say those names yet. But um, yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll see what they who they have for that. And I, I just think it's so interesting. It's a mystery partner for him, so I feel like yeah. they're going they're going farther, like at least the semifinals for sure. Yeah, it's got to it's got to be somebody interesting, and and you know they they they're facing the grizzled young veterans, uh, Zach Gibson mm, yeah, and James yeah. Drake in the first round. So it's not like you know those guys have to go over. Um, it's not like they put them against the undisputed era in the first round or anything. So yeah, it's interesting to see how they're going to handle the tag champions because you have the undisputed era who check champ tag champions. Gallus is tag team champs right now, but there is a four way ladder match coming up on NXT Takeover. Um, UK, so um, yeah, with the, a lot of those teams in this tournament, all the four teams in the tournament are in that ladder match too. So I wonder how they're going to, you know, treat the tag team champions, whoever they are, and how far they go too. Did they? They didn't mention when this is starting or when the end the the end game is for this, did they? I I don't I don't I kind of fast forward this episode once I saw what it was and. I kind of saw the awards and then, and, you know, and someone in our Facebook group already posted the brackets and the teams. I've kind of like, okay, I saw everything I need to see because I've saw these matches already. So I kind of just skimmed through to see who won the awards because I didn't see, I didn't see that ahead of time. So I just kind of, so I skimmed through, but um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if they announced uh, the dates, but I assume the finals will be at TakeOver the the takeover in portland is it in portland portland yeah which is what the 20 that's 29th now 29th is uh aw so february whatever the february date yeah so early february so yeah i think it's gonna be spread out i don't know if they're gonna do like one match a show leading up to there because like what what like uh what eight matches total i think it is yeah 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 um okay so um so yeah, so that, that that'll be interesting. Something else to kind of follow along. Um, I, I I like I said, Riddle and, and Dunn are a great team. I don't follow the UK product, so I don't know like from a booking standpoint. If you want, you know, if you're really pushing this mm-hmm. UK versus NXT, and they're kind of doing that with that Worlds Collide thing too, like yeah. they're really trying to make it a brand versus brand thing. I mean, you have to push the UK teams just maybe even more than 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 your American teams because you know the 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 NXT audience who watches on the USA channel probably doesn't know a lot of the or all of these guys in the UK. So it'd be interesting. Um, okay, so let's take a quick break and then we will come back. And we will talk about um, AEW's Dynamite show from uh, New Year's Day. It's time to talk about Untuck It. Have you ever seen an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Super long, not fit. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. With more than 50 plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. 
So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use the code BLUE, B-L-U-E, for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Okay, we're back. Ready to talk about AEW Dynamite. Uh, John, before, I'm going to give you like a mm-hmm. bunch of stuff to that I kind of want to talk about, but just give me your initial sort of overall thoughts on on the show as a whole and on the the things that they did differently from the last time we talked because when we last talked about AEW Dynamite we were both in agreement that it was not their best showing um I think this was definitely a better show uh, one of their better shows I think because they, they stuck strictly to wrestling and um and I thought that was a good thing like I, I felt like hey they had a pull they pulled back a little bit from the Dark Order stuff, the Nightmare Collective stuff, the really bad stuff. But overall, I thought this show was pretty good and pretty entertaining. And the main event was exactly what it needed to be. It needed to be an all-out action-packed match. And, you know, that with that style that those AEW fans love. That, and I, think, I thought that match delivered for that style and those people were going crazy for. So, overall, I thought it was uh, one of our better, their better shows for sure. Okay, so the theme to the show was that the elite is on a bit of a losing streak mm-hmm. and, you know, they got their butts kicked by the Dark Order and, you know, do they still have it? It was it was really about that. And and the first thing I thought was was, okay, um, where is the where is the Dark Order? They had they were bare they were on there just a little bit and they had a little segment where they were talking about the exalted one. So there's definitely a higher power type of uh, person who is who will be unveiled at some at some point. But in in going you know in going away from the Dark Order, it, it wasn't quite that they erased the last episode. I don't think they did that, but they definitely, as a viewer, made you say, okay, well at least for this one week. We're pulling away from these guys who maybe got too much TV time in last week's episode. But in this week's episode, I thought maybe they didn't get enough because mm-hmm. I at least wanted to see if we're going to go forward with this thing. Let's make sure it's important while still trying to get the other stuff over. But they did, they did, they just were like, okay, we need a timeout on these guys for at least this week. Yeah, I think uh, this is their first. Last week was their, or was it two weeks ago? Whatever was their was their first episode. Where they really got some negative feedback from even their fans i think so i think they wanted to push back a little bit and they're still going to continue with the angle with the dark order um there was a, a promo that they did which i thought was fine uh, like i said all the stuff was was fine when it came to that kind of stuff and they're like no nightmare collective so that was a good thing and i was like that's, that's to me that's even worse than the <laughs> even worse than the uh, dark order stuff so um yeah yeah i thought you know like i said i think it, it was good they did some really good stuff when it came to the wrestling itself, but they're still weak on a lot of the backstage segments they, they produced for sure. All right. So the first match was Cody against Darby Allen and a little bit of a callback to their 
time limit draw from last year in that in that match that match was all about making Darby Allen showing that he he can go toe to toe with one of the best guys and uh, this match uh, did very similarly though Cody did win the match thanks to some some uh, expertise from his new manager Arn Anderson <laughs> what did you think about Arn getting on the apron and being very demonstrative to Cody P- your knees your knees <laughs> yeah, I I just kind of giggled. I mean, before this, before the finish, I thought the match was overall really good. Um, I love the teasing of the of the time limit, like uh, you know, playing off the previous match. I always love that stuff. Um, you know, Darby is uh, one of my favorites to watch in AEW. I really think he's something special, and I think they did a good job. And him losing here does not hurt him at all because he he was you know really competitive. Uh, with Cody and, and he had a lot of great near falls, so it was it, they did a good job there. Um, I'm not a fan of the coach Arn Anderson, which is shocking to say, considering I was such a huge Arn Anderson fan growing up. But like, Cody only has two things to do: move or yep. get his knees up. And it's not like he's a wet behind the ears greenhorn rookie, right? I mean, he's a veteran, so like if he doesn't know that, and needs a coach to tell him to put the knees up. I don't know. It just was. It was just goofy to me. I'm sorry. Okay, um, so if you if you tell me, if you tell me the story that Cody, as the executive, is uh, trying to do both be a businessman and a pro wrestler, and you know, he, maybe he's not on top of his game and he he needs a someone to you know a, a veteran to talk sense into him i could definitely see sort of arn's role or just in general and it's always good to have you know you, one of your pals there like he like ddp is very similar in that role for cody mm-hmm. right ddp is like his hype man but in the ring if you're going to be the one of the top guys i think if Arn can slip you some advice in your ear uh, that you know may be an advantage, I think that's pretty smart. But Arn getting on the apron and slapping his leg and and being super demonstrative, the opponent should be able to possibly see that as well. And so you're not disguising it. It's, it's why you know it's why the third base coach has signs in baseball, right? You don't want to tell the the team what you're going to do. But it was just so demonstrative and not subtle at all. And it was uh, to me, it was pretty silly. Uh, and and I mean, I like this sort of the psychology of it all from, you know, from Cody having an edge in some way. But he shouldn't need Coach Arn to beat this young up and comer unless this young up and comer just has his number. But that has not been distinguished yet. Yeah, I would like to see more backstage stuff with them, you know, maybe before he goes out to a match or he's given some words of advice, like how to handle this young punk rock kid who's you know looking to make a name for himself or something like that and some kind of getting some kind of strategy or something in there and then cody goes out for his match i think that would be that would be best um you know what's funny about this match too like the little video that darby had like walking around the streets with with the with the um with the cody mask on mm-hmm. it just seemed kind of interesting because just like a couple weeks ago he wanted to be his partner i'm your only friend basically mm-hmm. you know and this seemed like he was ready to go kill him even though <laughs> he's you know so small and i also thought there was some fun there, i mean this is really really nitpicky stuff for me but like there's one point where darby uh sorry cody gave darby a forearm shiver 
and Darby doesn't even sell it and then gives Cody one back and Cody like flies back <laughs> and he's so small just, just stuff like that just was kind of kind of goofy to me but um, overall that is my favorite match of the night though so I think uh, the the women's match was uh, <sighs> was more entertaining to me because you had the four women there and so you know that it wasn't just a one-on-one match where you could just see the 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 uh, the holes in, in in one particular person's game and but but it's still it, it was just it was fine for what it was but the thing that I wanted to ask you about was what did you think about Statlander missing this show like this is her huge opportunity it's the it's a much bigger hype show I, though I don't know if it'll do a better audience than next week because it had tons of competition mm-hmm. but this was like the important show and they pulled her off of it so that she could do her indie shot and then they're gonna put her on next week but that whole just that whole thing like you being somebody who has done this for a living um having someone you know tell you at the last minute or maybe it wasn't the last minute and there's just wires were crossed on schedules and then having to kind of change it around and then set it up for the next week well you know being on the indie level if a talent came to me and said hey i know i made a commitment to you but i have this really big opportunity on you know national television you know my biggest match of my career i would not be upset about that obviously i would want them to do it because you know that's you know in, i mean i always knew where we at on the indie level you know i didn't talk about my promotion as a territory i didn't mm-hmm. you know you know it's all about getting these guys and gals to the next level and that's, that's what i wanted for them so I would be okay with it, especially if it's such a big opportunity like this. I was really upset when I heard this news. I I was just the opposite. I was like thinking if I was AEW, I'd be like, no, you have to work this show. We've been we built we spent money and TV time and building you up to, for this match, and now you feel like you need to do this indie shot. And from my understanding, Bar Wrestling was okay with her not being on the show and doing this match for AEW. So what's the issue? Why does yep. she want to do the bar wrestling? Why does she want to do bar wrestling? Listen, people, bar wrestling, <laughs> then a national TV audience show on TNT in front of, you know, you know, 800,000 or almost a million people watching you, but you want to do bar wrestling for what? For what? I don't know. Does anyone have mollies there for her or something? I don't know what's going on. But <laughs> I'm just like, she's crazy. She is an alien because she doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Sorry. Gotta hit so, that button. Um, so I, I, I mean, I feel very similarly to you. And, you know, a lot of a lot of these things that happen in, in, in AEW, I kind of think back to sort of my own career working in the tech industry. And, and if someone gave me an opportunity... And I kind of like was like, yeah, but I have to do this thing Mm -hmm. first. Somebody would have taken me aside and go, look, here's what you're not understanding. This is a big opportunity. People stuck their neck out for you. This is, you know, you you have momentum. It may not be the same next week, you know, if it doesn't happen. So I was a little disappointed too. And I know, you know, Tony Khan and, and those guys, they want to be a very friendly place. They want people to feel comfortable. They want to be super inclusive. All of those things are great. 
you know, as long as it doesn't mess with the business in that sense, too, because, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with, with Chris and maybe she was supposed to win and now she's not going to win. I don't know what I don't know what the deal is on that, but I just thought it, it made her look a little not ready for prime time and it made them look a little uh, like junior varsity to me. Like I, I, I mean, I'm sure there have been not been situations where you know WWE could go, okay, like this is not that important. But if if it wasn't that important, then you know, I don't know. I, I think that's what it has to be. Is like like what AEW is telling me. And look, the you know a lot of the fans don't really know what's going on. You know, we know because we're following all this stuff. But the fact that sh- they're okay with it to me, it goes, oh. Well, maybe it's not that important then if, if they mm-hmm. don't care that she misses and then she doesn't care that she misses like, oh, OK, not that big of a deal. Well, I, you know, I saw Tony Khan's, Khan's tweet about it. Right. But I, I, I bet you anything he was not happy about this. He could not be happy about this. I, I hope I hope he's not happy, not happy about this. He better not be because and I had that vibe from watching the show. They announced a match. They gave it a graphic. But it wasn't really hyped up, if you notice. And I don't know, maybe that was maybe James Ross thinking she's an idiot too or, or, or whatnot. Maybe he didn't want to hype it up as much, but it just didn't have the hype to it, you know, mm-hmm. like like I think it would have gotten if it was went through. And, and I don't think she would have won, but, you know, maybe she was. Maybe she was going to get the title. That, if, she, if, she gets a, if she was going to get the title, then she's a bigger idiot. Um, uh, if it was me and... Tony Khan shoes, I would say, no, you're not doing bar wrestling. I don't even care what bar wrestling thinks about it. You know, I'm sorry, but this is, you know, um, and, you know, and then now as a punishment, I'm sorry, but I would, I would go through the match because he advertised it. She would lose and I would take her off TV. I would take her off dark. I would just not use her for about six months, honestly. And so Britt Baker, Brit Baker's promo was... Mm-hmm exactly what I would have felt in that situation. Her promo, which yeah, I can barely hear. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so I guess uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why I was able to hear. I know a lot of people had problems. I, I had a uh, lot I was, of issues, a lot of those I was, promos. I was watching on Hulu. So maybe they had a, like a better, better sound of, I don't know, but right. she basically said uh, that, you know, she's been, she's been there forever and, you know, she comes to work every day busting her butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she did that whole thing. And I was like, Hmm, mm-hmm. maybe that's for, Chris, <laughs> not 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 really for Riho, but maybe that was supposed to be like kind of for Chris. I don't know, but th- I just thought that was interesting. All I heard was like, "You seen the sneak out victories?" <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, that's her thing." You know, that's what makes her s- such a great underdog babyface. You know, she sneaks out victories, and and did she really say that she's <laughs> been busting her ass? And did she get a title shot and lose recently? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's uh, why that's why I was wondering if it was a little targeted. But maybe yeah, it wasn't. It, I just. And what do you think of the match itself, the four way? Um, I I looked at it as them trying to do a match where uh, there's just this mix this mix of style. I mean, you could tell who the fans were into. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like you know, obviously Riho is. Uh, is still a pretty big deal with those fans, and 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 I think they've lost a little luster for uh, for Brit and and even for Nyla. I don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly if the fans exactly know what to think about Nyla, um, but uh, 
you know they love Riho and Sheeta. Like that's definitely like if you were to if you were to rank them based on you know fan reaction, those are the those are the two. And then you'd probably put Chris Statlander somewhere in there after that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I think it was just it was just sort of a match that that they that they needed to get through to get to next week. And I, I don't, I, I it's hard for me to judge these kind of matches because the. Um, they're not good wrestlers, so who am I judging them against? Am I I'm judging them against like good male wrestlers, or am I judging them against what WWE women would do in that? Like, so I'm like trying to watch it and trying to understand, like, okay, how am I grading this in my head? Because if I was grading it against what I would consider to be good wrestling, like every single women's match in, in AEW so far would get a low grade because they're not good. But there are parts of it where. In within that, you sort of you can root for people like like Riho and Sheeta, and you're like, oh, like that was actually pretty good. But would that be good in a good match, or is it just good because this is this bad match? Like that, so I have a hard time okay. kind of like deciding uh, on in, in in the women's matches. Yeah, I thought it was a bad match overall. A lot of the moves were executed poorly. The little the stuff in the middle between the moves that's was like really bugging me. It was a lot of bad brawling. I didn't like the table spot in the, in the middle of the match with. Uh, um, Nyla doing the uh, senton bomb to the outside on Sheeta mm-hmm. because they end up doing another table with yeah. Rio. So you yeah. take away the impact of doing that table, and then that promo that uh, Rio attempted to do. Like, did you see her facial expression when Nyla was coming at her? Like she clutched her t- title like like a little <laughs> girl in a horror movie, you know? <laughs> Instead of like you're 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 fine. You're you know. I know you went through a war, but you seem really good you could probably move out of the way or something like that and it was just kind of poorly executed so but yeah that match wasn't that good i think a lot of people are going to overrate that match because they had a lot of women's matches people like to overrate but um i mean from my eye like a lot of poor brawling and you know brits just yeah she's not that good so then when they cut that promo later i'm like oh man this is what i don't want to see i want to see mm-hmm. Sheeta and rio uh, go out again because i thought they i think that was one of rio's best matches that she had when they when they when they competed on the i think it was dynamite they had a match and i thought that was one of their better women's matches they had yeah um okay so then moxley uh i'm, I'm skipping through some stuff i'm just i just want to make sure we get through what i consider to be the important stuff mm-hmm. so moxley moxley has his match uh sammy guevara comes out and then they cut to a jericho promo and i guess he's not there live because he was already in japan which is kind of weird like i guess i, mean, I think i think his family is actually out there and they he, he and his wife may have done uh, um, uh, vows renewal or something so maybe that's why he was out there early mm-hmm. but he was not at the show and so he did this promo about you know this is this is what you would get moxie if you join the inner circle you know you get 49 percent and you get this car and you know i was waiting for dean to just like roll his eyes and show like ah oh, you know this dude but he actually said oh you know jericho was like one of my mentors like mm-hmm. he didn't say in wwe but i mean I, i'm you know that's what he meant and so i thought that was kind of interesting where he just put it off again for next week and obviously you know he's he's gonna turn it down at least that's what that's what we're supposed to believe but i just thought i just thought his his sort of nonchalantness about uh yeah, Jericho used to be a friend. I'll, I'll think it over. I thought that was weird. It just kind of hit me out of nowhere. Like, whoa, that's not what I would expect it. Yeah, no, I liked it. I thought he did a good job of, like, you could tell he has something planned. And he's going to, you know, 
execute that plan next week and like you know we're okay we're, we're in on it too you know so i like what he did with that with that promo um the match i was digging the match i was enjoying the match a lot with trent and with trent um formerly known as trent beretta which jim ross pointed out so i don't think he really yeah. likes the idea he dropped his last name um everything's going good i was like maybe that actually, actually it was becoming my favorite match of the night so at that time but then guess what happened Orange Cassidy pops up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what pissed me off about this. Above this, 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 where are the agents on these matches? Who is agent? Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, I mean are we, are Dean and Arn and Arn? BJ Whitmer and and um, I'm guessing, I'm guessing BJ Whitmer wasn't the agent on this match because uh, I don't know. I don't know who someone's taking a coffee break or no, or they don't, or maybe they don't agent Moxie's matches because he just does his what he wants to do and these. But they someone should have said something about this because it made no sense. Orange Cassidy is the tag team partner or whatever, a friend of the best friends mm-hmm. who are quote unquote baby faces. And when he popped, Orange Cassidy popped up to the apron. He popped up after Trent Beretta hit a big clothesline. Okay, his guy was up, had the advantage, you know, and he popped up to distract Mox for what? What are you distracting Moxley for? Your guy is is has the advantage just for he can hit a knee and a pile driver. Oh, Garrett, I can't tell you, man. I was so pissed off when I saw that. And that was it. I was done. I'm like, okay, I don't care about this match anymore. Um. I, I was thinking about Orange Cassidy and, you know, I was thinking of who in WWE would just like show up randomly in matches. And I thought about Hornswoggle, but I don't remember. I don't remember Hornswoggle showing up as much without a purpose. He always had mm-hmm. someone to antagonize, someone to bite in the ass and, and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's it's it wasn't it's not a good comparison, but um I, but what do you do with this I, guy? I don't know. Well, yeah, what do you do? Because every time he comes out, it means less and less and less and less and less. And you mm-hmm. can't put him on TV more because that would just infuriate a lot of people uh, on TV. And, you know, not the live crowd. And, yeah. and he would lose a little bit from the live crowd. But it seems like he's just, you know, he's just that live crowd guy. And and they get they get one pop and, and they get excited to see him. And then he goes away. But I don't know. I mean, can he continue? Can you continue to do that, or does he actually have to get in the ring? Like, why? Why isn't he wrestling every week on AW Dark? I mean, maybe that would get the crowd fired up for him or something. I mean, Dark would be the best position for him. You know, I wouldn't put him on TV to wrestle a match, even in the you know, even in the six man tags, because he you know, you can turn a lot a lot of fans. You're not going to turn off the AW fans. You're going to turn off the people that are checking out the show. If you see a guy come in there and do like shin kicks, right? They're mm-hmm. not going to understand his gimmick. I barely understand his gimmick. And um, yeah, I would do dark is fine, I guess. But and it's just a short-term one-note joke gimmick. And like I said, what do you do with that guy? Is this your answer? Just have him pop up in matches randomly? Um, I also thought it was funny too in this match. Chucky e. T looked bored out of his mind. And it's funny because they give Trent these singles matches because Trent's really good and talented and he can hold his own in these matches. I think, you know, Chucky T is definitely the second tier guy on the team for sure when it comes to talent. And um, 
he just looked like he was just there. He was kind of like bored out of his mind, honestly. But uh, I was so upset, dude. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, like he was <laughs> – there's no reason for him to pop up. Like – and and why is he doing that with when he's working a, another fellow babyface? You're you're mm-hmm. your top babyface going into the biggest championship match uh, in 2020 so far. You know, so it just it just seemed really goofy to me. So MJF gives his stipulations for having a match with Cody. Cody cannot touch him until uh, the Revolution match. Mm-hmm. Cody uh, is going to have to face uh, Wardlow. At uh, in a cage at some point they didn't they didn't say when they were gonna have this have this match but he's gonna face Wardlow in a cage and then Cody's gonna have to take ten uh, ten lashes from a belt like Cody's the one who creates this thing and he makes him he makes it so that he's gonna take ten lashes <laughs> with a belt what's going on here yeah I don't know what they're going with the ten lashes um, is he gonna voluntarily do it and maybe no sell it to show he's going to kick MJ's ass and, and, it's big, and now it's a big mistake for MJF to even get in this match with him. Um, the Wardlow in the cage and Cody just reminds me of Dusty worker with Bob Rogers in cages mm-hmm. when he was uh, a young guy. So, um, it could, a completely enclosed if, if cage. If Wardlow could go like Big Bubba Rogers and you got something there. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, um, I think it's a good idea. The, the cage match I thought maybe was a little too, too much, but I get it. They're you know they want to get some you know more ratings and you know who's gonna you know gonna tune in for a cage match, right? Come on, uh, Cody's got to bleed. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I hope we see blood and blood and guts. And I you know I, I'm 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 actually really looking forward to that cage match because I know Warlow is a young guy, and I always like matches with young guys versus a veteran to see how. They can have a good match and how the veteran can, you know, get the best out of the young guy. So I'm literally looking forward to the match. The 10 lashes, I was trying, I don't know, I haven't really thought too much about it, but be interesting. I think it's, it's all going to happen within within that match, you know. He has to beat Warlord, right? So I think he yep. probably beats him by the skin of his teeth somehow, some way. And I think they handcuff him to the cage and give him 10 lashes, maybe, or something like that. I'm guessing. Just off the top of my head right now. All right. And then, uh, the main event, you mentioned the Elite Beat Pac and the Lucha Bros mm-hmm. to end the show. This was the original match that they had. They were supposed to do for one of the shows. I don't remember what show it was. Um, it was going to be... Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. But one of the one of the big shows that they did last year. Uh, those, remember when... Uh, was it when Pac got... Uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't get the... Uh, get the visa or something, or and mm-hmm. then they had to change it to somebody else. Maybe it's Bandito, or it was one of the shows. I, for, I forget the actual thing that happened, but uh, so so they did that. They did that match on uh, on uh, on New Year's on New Year's night, and then that was the show with the elite uh, standing tall, except Adam Page, who mm-hmm. uh, who who was doing was there for for commentary and. Just did not uh, did not join the elite, so they're doing the slowest heel turn with him, yeah. which they seemingly have already given away on uh, being the elite. But I don't watch that, so it's not canon to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that backstage stuff with uh, Paige at the bar with Party City was just not a good. <laughs> not a good. Like, how uncool is Party City when they're just them hanging out in a bar by themselves, right? 
to me. It's, <laughs> it's just, I know it's a private party, right? It's a yep. private party, but like private party with some hot babes around and yeah, exactly. Some people having fun. People maybe a maybe a maybe a celebrity rap star or something. Like, I don't know. So like like come on, like they're just them in a, in a hotel bar looking goofy, and Paige just walks in and just takes a takes a drink. <laughs> You know, um, I thought that was a weak segment. Um, I did like Paige at the commentary booth. He had some good stuff. I thought I really liked when he said, like, huh, news to me. But, you know, I, I thought that was a good line. That was perfect. It was subtle. It was, you know, and then I liked how he wasn't like, oh, no, it's your moment out there, guys. You know what I mean? Like at the end when they were celebrating. So, that, that, that was a nice little subtle thing they did there. Um, I, still th- I still think he needs to... Amp it liven up. it up a little bit like i get the subtle play and that's probably more along the line of his personality mm-hmm. but i just need a little bit more like i need a little bit more from him that shows me that he's you know, that he's into be his manager thing. yeah that'd be a good one orange should be the one that's coaching him and pumping him up and giving that inspirational promo and saying you know you're you should be having this promotion in your hands you know and uh, it's, don't let don't let this opportunity slip, for, you know, from you and all that kind of stuff. Um, I thought that was. I think he needs an Arn Anderson to kind of coach him with the promos. Yeah. And another segment promo I did not like at all was the Jungle Boy interview with Luchasaurus. That Luchasaurus. was weird. <sighs> I I was getting irritated because I'm like, man, they should really show Jungle Boy on this show because you know he had that big match and you got to like. You know, keep that going and, and keep some him have some momentum going with him. And I'm like, okay, they're, they're giving a promo, but I saw you know Marcus Dunn. He's just being a goofy little kid. And he was trying to get that girl, the interviewer, and Luchasaurus says something, but the the audio was messed up, so I don't know what he said. And Jack's promo was, eh, no fire, <laughs> no mm-hmm. energy, not at all. The promo should have been just him. It should just been him. You don't need. The, the, the dinosaur and and Marco stunt with him like you you don't need that for this like give him his he could talk about the Jurassic Express you could throw it in there we're gonna get the tag titles one of our goals in 2020 and then throw out like talking about Jericho and how he you know lasted 10 minutes and he, you know Jericho didn't beat him and you know he wants to be in that match again with Jericho he wants another opportunity and he feels that he could beat him and or something like that you know what i mean like it was just a wait it was like it was like like we got to get jungle Boy on the show let's do a segment let's do an interview segment and like they gave him nothing to say and you know. he he is really killing the social media thing right now like mm-hmm. he like he's posting these really great photos looks like a star but when they show him on tv and he's not wrestling there's something that I don't know if it's he sees that red light and mm-hmm. he just doesn't he's just not there yet. I mean, he'll he'll get better. We've talked about it like his pops is Luke Perry. You know, he'll get better at it. But the, that that's the one thing that's that's really missing from him right now is just that ability well, to turn the personality on when the cameras are on. You're giving him a promo with nothing for him to get some fire behind. And he also has to play off Marcus Stunt being a little horny little kid. And he has to, <laughs> you know, be dwarfed by this giant dinosaur. Like, keep them away for this moment. Let it be him. Let him talk about what it was like to wrestle in front of his mom and his sister and his family. And, you know, going in with the best in AEW today, the world champ, and going 10 minutes with him and, and proving that he's a, a future superstar in AEW, a future champion. And, 
you know, and also not only are they his team and his team are going to win the tag titles, but they're going to go for this championship and, you know, and they're going to, and he's going to want another opportunity at Jericho, all this stuff. Like, give him something to, like, really get into. I think you have to light a fire under him. You can't just, like, just let him go out there and just go, you know, like, sleepwalk through a promo. You know, give him something that he's going to get passionate about and let him show some fire. But, I don't know. I was really upset with that promo. I was really, that, was, that was another low point for me in this show. But overall, I thought it was uh, one of their better shows, though. Overall, like I thought, like I said, I thought a lot of the matches. I, I enjoyed the opener. Um, oh, what did you think? <laughs> what did you think about Sam Guevara, Dustin Rhodes? Well, I mean, I I, I, I assumed that was how the match was going to end. Mm-hmm. Yes, Something goofy like that. The best part, though, which I don't understand, is behind the referee's back. Jake Hager comes in, knees, dust in the balls, Govar gets spin, right? Mm-hmm. Well, why was the referee telling him he saw everything and he's pissed off at Jake Hager? Because they don't do DQs? <laughs> like, you see, did you see, like, the afterwards happened? The, the, uh, Bryce Ginsburg, the goofball referee, the over-theatrical referee, they have a lot of them in that promotion, um, comes out and he's like, you hit him in the balls. And I'm like, well, then disqualify him. Reverse the decision. Because they know. don't do disqualifications. I know, but it's <laughs> stupid or just act like you didn't see it because you're not supposed to, bro. You're not supposed to see it. Jake Hager interferes from behind. He blow blows him. And then Sammy Guard, the little weasel, gets the pin. That's the story. That's the mm-hmm. finish. <sighs> Maybe the show wasn't that good. Um, okay so before we get into the we want flair uh the the first segment of 2020 um just quick thoughts on um tanahashi and jericho doing a little a little bit of business or Mm -hmm. at least in social media we'll we'll see what happens uh they still have a match on uh on Saturday night, Sunday morning to, to do, and we'll see what happens there. But it, it's making people wonder if there are, uh, you know, the companies are open for business, for working with each other, mm. which would be uh, excellent, I think, I think for both parties. But uh, also, you know, there, we, uh, the, Ryan and I actually, on the show that, that I did with him on, uh, on, on New Year's Day, we talked about you know the 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 hurt feelings and the frustrations with, with both sides and and why that you know why why they may be bothered with each other. But this you know this gives us a little bit of hope that hey, maybe maybe they are going to do something with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean you know it could something there could be inklings of things to happen in in early 2020. But just your overall thoughts on uh, the, those possibilities. That'd be cool for AEW for sure, and also. Uh, in, in New Japan as well, I think you know they'd be nice to have some fresh matchups again with um, you know Omega back or something like that. And Jericho still, you know. Um, do you think Moxley gets involved in this match? Because and, and because he he has the uh, he has the title shot at Revolution. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they? Get, do something with this. I don't know. I'm trying to think like the if, finish. If this was the AEW TV, most definitely. But the mm-hmm. fact that it's a New Japan show, I don't think that they would want to promote, you know, something that doesn't happen on their on their TV on their shows. Yeah, my guess is Jericho's winning this match at Tokyo Dome, and then Jericho loses the title at Revolution to Mox. Mm-hmm. And I think at Dominion, I can see Tanahashi beating Jericho 
in the rematch mm. to even up the odds. I could see something like that happening. So I was talking to Big Dave about this, and he said that if Tanahashi wins at Wrestle Kingdom, he thinks that could mean something for future possibilities with them working together. He's th- he thinks the finish will tell us something mm-hmm. come Sunday morning, but that that that's kind of his take on it. I think he's even mentioned that on uh, the recent show that he did with uh, Fumi and uh, Jim Valley. Yeah, I mean, that would be a big thing for them. And, and uh, for AEW, I think that'd be nice because it'd be nice to freshen up their shows too with some yeah. yep. great A talent like Tanahashi and Okada and Naito and Jay White and the like. So, Yeah, totally. I mean, imagine, uh, you know, Juice Robinson coming coming over for AEW. He's, he's like the perfect type of uh, charisma for that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do really well there. Okay, so uh, let's uh, move on to the first segment of the We Want Flair uh, podcast that you and I used to do. We are focusing on one match slash angle for a specific month. So in January, we are doing uh, Ric Flair versus Tatsumi Fujinami from the Super uh, Super Show uh, that uh, they did at the Tokyo Dome, a partnership between New Japan Pro Wrestling and WCW. And uh, I actually built out the schedule for uh, for the shows that we're going to do. And actually, let me see if I can find that. <laughs> nope, that's not it. Uh, where is it? I know it's on the uh, it's on the it's on the the Twitter account. I, I'll find that. I, um, but so so the first match, like I said, is, is this, the 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 uh, the show at the Tokyo Dome, which leads into the show. Uh, the following, uh, I guess, two months later, which would have been the inaugural Super Brawl. And so both of those matches are going to be the first two uh, shows that we do in the first two months of, of this year. We'll talk about sort of the the, the background to it, why, the, why those shows are important. We'll talk about the matches. We'll talk about the aftermath. And we'll do them in a three-week segment. So for Flair and Fujinami for January, for the first three shows of this month, we'll do the, the background. We'll, do, we'll talk about the match. We'll talk about the aftermath. And then we'll leave that fourth week open, and maybe we'll bring back uh, What's John Watching, the old segment we did last <laughs> year, which was you know just crazy things that you were watching that I was like, oh, my God, how, how, do, you have to, how do you have time and fandom to watch it? And you're like, I'm going to have any more. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then it might be some like random uh, super clash or something. <laughs> Boy um, World uh, review. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then, so okay, so we have mapped out January Flair Fujinami Tokyo Dome, February Flair Fujinami Super Brawl, uh, March Flair versus Luger Starcade 1988, which doesn't really tie into to the to the one that we're gonna do this month, but there's there's those little little bits of. Uh, branches and breadcrumbs throughout uh these these wcw years rick flair then for april flair savage at mania eight and that is actually kind of like if you talk about rick flair leaving wcw which is what actually happens in, uh, after super brawl his whole like 
coming into WWF and leaving WCW, like that's a crazy story in of itself. So that's going to be a fun one. And then in May, we will do Flair versus Hogan uh, at Halloween Havoc 94. And then in June, we'll go back to WCW Flair versus Sting at Bash 90, which actually kind of ties into the one mm-hmm. that we're going to do today. So there's lots of tie-ins and, and we'll be able to do some callbacks and stuff. So let's get started with the first we want flair of 2020 flair fujinami at the tokyo dome we actually go all the way back to talk about this story well first let's talk about who the players are so obviously nature boy rick flair he is if at the at the beginning of 1991 he is not the nwa slash WCW World Heavyweight Champion. That man is Sting, who is a bit player in uh, in this time frame for, for this story. But he is still, Sting's a champ. He had won it the, the summer before. Um, who else is in this? Vince McMahon plays a small part in this whole story of Ric Flair's unhappiness with WCW, which, which we will talk about. Who else? Dusty Rhodes, Rick's wrestling hero, who became his competition at times and then became his boss as as the booker. And, you know, there was always this sort of love hate relationship between the two of them, which I think as they got a lot older, you know, they, you know, bygones were bygones and and they they did get close. But there was always that that little competitiveness between them. We have Jim Hurd, who's WCW executive vice president and someone who Ric Flair despised, uh, and Jim Ross, WCW commentator and Ric Flair's traveling partner. He he has a he has a story in his book about uh, Flair and him uh, in a limousine with with two women, and Flair's trying to trying to make the odds a little sweeter for the both of them to to go home happy, and um, he kind of uh, un. <laughs> pantses himself and the women scream and they run away and didn't end up well for the nature boy but jim ross and, and flair were, were traveling buddies and then also tetsumi fujinami four-time iwgp champion so i think the the big part of this story is uh dusty and rick like i mentioned um there's uh in Ric Flair's book, he the, he talks about Dusty a lot in his book, and he and he starts with saying, in this book, you can read some great stories about Dusty Rhodes and some bad stories about Dusty Rhodes. Yet, despite all the tension we'd have between us later on, so, so whenever Rick I think of Dusty, the good the animosity started between the two in 1981 when he beat Dusty for the NWA strap. As you're watching wrestling as a kid, Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair. That it was one of the the big feuds that I remember watching at least when I was first introduced to NWA. I mean, it, it was Starcade '84 and '85, and then Great American Bash. Like, the, like <laughs> as a young fan, did you do you think that possibly you know these guys in real life that they also have strife, um, or do you think like, oh yeah, you know this is this is real? Of course they hate each other. Like, what? Like, do you have any idea that there's like a real life competition with top guys in wrestling? When I was a kid, or during this time, like eighty five, eighty six. So you're ten. Yeah, you're ten years old. Or, yeah, uh, or oh, nine yeah. years old. Oh yeah, I thought people hated each other, and I thought everyone wanted to be champion, and <laughs> you know all that. Yeah, definitely. I thought I thought that, that that's what was you're into, right? You just believe in everything. Um, even though my dad early on told me like right away that 
oh, it's all, you know, it's all fake, right? Plan it all out and all that. (laughs) But, I mean, to me, I didn't care because I loved it. But at the same time, you know, you just fall into the storylines. You know, you fall into uh, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, you know, Hogan, Macho Man saying Hogan lusted for Elizabeth and, you know, Hogan being upset with Macho and Elizabeth just being torn apart. Like, yeah, I was into all that stuff. I I loved it. I believed it. And, uh, you know, I just, I believed Ric Flair and and, uh, the Horsemen always partied together. And I believed um, Sting and Luger worked out together at the Steiners. (laughs) You know, they probably did actually because they used to travel. But like, you know, like I believed all that stuff. And I thought Nikita was a real Russian, you know, so. You know, I thought I, when when it comes to like the competition of it all, like I guess you could look at like Hogan and Piper, right? Piper mm-hmm. was never going to be the guy as long as Hogan was there, and he was never going to give Hogan the pinfall, the victory. You know, he was never going to put him over completely in that way. And then you even fast forward to like Rock and Austin, like. If I if I had the opportunity to talk to either one of those guys, I think the first thing I would ask them is is the competition between the two is unlike a competition of athletics, right? You're not you're not going against each other. You're sort of working together, but at the same time as working together, like you don't want to lose your spot at the same time. So it's like a, this weird working partnership that that you have. And this is similar to it seems like what Dusty and Rick had, which like there's no I can't think of another, you know, maybe maybe, uh, you know, maybe if you have a, a job and two people are vying for the the same role that you're kind of working together, you can't work, you know, you can't fight each other. You can't sabotage each other because mm-hmm. the company, you know, gets damaged. But like that, that's such a crazy thing to me. You have two guys who are like, are at the peak and they're still they got to work together but they're also like making sure that they don't you know that they don't lose their spot yeah yeah it's it's interesting mission this business because you know you only have in wrestling a lot of people don't have a long time as the top guy right and then after a period of time they get pushed down the card so they're always trying to protect their spot on the card and in the main event because they want you know you know, back then there was no guaranteed contracts. It was just if you were higher on the card, you got paid more than the guy on the bottom. So, yeah, there was definitely some of that competition there. People don't want to lose their lose their stranglehold on the top. All right, let's fast forward to 1988. Mm-hmm. Dusty Rhodes, as the Booker, wants Ric Flair to drop the title to Rick Steiner. Flair box, and Dusty is overruled by Jim Hurd. And there was there you know there was other stuff going on with Dusty and and Jim Hurd there as well you know that that sort of new you know that new corporate structure wasn't built for Dusty's blood and guts type of booking so you know Dusty is removed as Booker after he books himself in a bloody angle with the Road Warriors as sort of like an fu to Jim Hurd and and you know the corporation. Um, and, and at that time also, uh, this is something that I actually forgot, you know, 1988 in from Flair's book, he says in the spring of 88, Vince McMahon called me with a straightforward question. What do you think about coming to the world wrestling federation? He already knew what he wanted to do with me when the first SummerSlam debuted on August 29th, 1988, I would be in the main event challenging Randy Savage for his world wrestling federation title. That would have been nuts. I always heard, too, that um, – remember on that SummerSlam 88, there was an interview segment with uh, Jim Duggan randomly? They, I don't remember. Well, there was, and I always heard, too, that Ric Flair was going to be on that. That's what they wanted him for, too, so to do like a big you know, intro on that show. 
Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. There was uh, he was you know talking to Vince in '88, and there was a chance to lose him. And you know when Ted Turner bought the company, one of the reasons why he bought the company, not just because it was such a successful show and helped build the the Superstation TBS, but you know he wanted Ric Flair with the with that deal too. You know, yep. he wasn't going to buy uh, WCW without him, without the Nature Boy. So, and that was huge, and that gave Ric Flair a ton of leverage, and he became the Booker. And so, uh, Rick, Rick Book, Rick, uh, the the Booker by committee uh, is mm-hmm. Flair, Sullivan, uh, Ross, Corny, uh, and Eddie Gilbert. And then that leads to Ole coming back uh, in, uh, I think it was like 19, is around, around 1990. But before then, um, Flair, you know, Flair has so much disdain for Jim Hurd. He, this is actually a quote from his book. Jim Hurd was an idiot. This is not defamation. I'm just telling you history. The man had no right to be anywhere near a wrestling company. Everything you read in this chapter will bear that out. And he goes to tell the story of, you know, him getting frustrated with Jim Hurd and leaving and stuff. So there's, you know, there's so much turmoil here. You have Rick uh, as the top guy um, and... You know, he hasn't lost to Sting yet, but that is coming. You have Jim Hurd, who is the new executive VP, not really a wrestling guy. You have Dusty, who's the wrestling guy, but is in this like tug of war with Rick over, you know, over what what's going to happen with the company. And it just creates this massive chaos for uh, for WCW at this point. I know. And you hear these old stories and this backstage drama and it's like. I'm so glad we didn't know about that stuff when we were watching this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so glad it survived, honestly. Like, you know how many times WCW was going to be out? Like, they were, like, going to pull the plug. And, you know, luckily for them, Ted Turner was, like, was loyal to it until he told, sold the Time Warner. And and then, you know, once things started falling apart, they're, you know, they're not loyal. You know, they're, they're going to get rid of something that's not really being successful so um yeah i mean i'm reading those stories about how many times they're gonna close the doors and how Mm -hmm. it was really scary because i mean i grew up on that stuff and big part of my youth was just watching uh wcw every saturday and sunday and sometimes friday and who knows (laughs) whatever syndicated show i can watch at the time i was watching it all so don't um, don't worry i'm I'm getting the tokyo dome we're we're getting there but yeah uh, yeah but there's uh, so much leading up to it and there's there's so much to get to this point, we're going to talk about this match. It's 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 like there's you can't believe all the twists and turns that are going. I know. Um, so from Chris Charlton's book, uh, Lion's Pride, on uh, the New Japan, um, the New Japan uh, company, he says NJPW at this point was at the start of a rocky relationship with World Championship Wrestling that would last through the best part of the decade. And he's talking about the 1990 period mm-hmm. at this point. He says the build main event was to be WCW NWA champion Ric Flair defending against Keiji Muto, making his return to the country. There was a dispute over Flair's proposed payoff, however, and he abandoned the show at the last minute. So a year prior, they were going to do this show. Then they lost their main event, and then they did the uh, the New Japan All Japan inter the the promotional uh, event for, at the Tokyo Dome as as sort of the replacement. So, you know, go, even even at this point, 
you know, Rick, you know, it's payoff or whatever, or it's to stick it to her. You know, I've seen uh, I've seen little bits of, of both things. But there is, uh, you know, there's a real sort of power struggle here with Rick, with Jim. You know, at this point, Dusty is out and he is about to come back. Uh, Oli is, is the booker, but he's sort of, you know, the, the, the wrestling has sort of passed him off, uh, passed him by. And, you know, you know, the, the Black Scorpion and all that thing, which also plays a small, a small factor in, into this as we'll get there. So the first mention in the Wrestling Observer of this proposed WCW New Japan Pro Wrestling show is in the January 8th, 1991 edition of the Wrestling Observer. And first, in in this issue, um, it's, it's two things. It mentions that there's talks of this show, but the bigger news is the return of Dusty. So... Meltzer is trying to explain why all of a sudden Dusty coming back is a good idea. And he says, first, there's nobody else out there with experience in booking a U.S. national promotion besides Vince and Pat Patterson that TBS hasn't already gone through. Rhodes does have that experience. And while Rhodes' booking was a major factor in the plunge of Jim Crockett promotions in 87, 88, Fact is that Bill Watts isn't going to come in as long as the current organizational structure is in place, and there is no guarantee he would be a miracle worker, which still seems like the only person who could succeed in that role. Hmm. Rhodes does have something to prove. Just as importantly, it seems pretty much certain that his days in the ring are just about over. To maintain both his lifestyle and his status within the industry, he has to succeed here. So Dusty's coming back, uh, and actually, you know, Dave sort of foreshadows. Uh, Bill Watts, who who does come in later and and does not you know do the job that that uh, you know for for what for what he was renowned as as doing, um, and you know Dusty's got to come in and he's got to do well because he's not a wrestler anymore. He's just you know if he wants to make money and he wants to succeed in wrestling as like you know that Dusty Rhodes guy. This is this is his way to do it. He heads up against Vince McMahon, who just spent two years trying to ridicule him uh, in, 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 you know, in that common man character. So from um, from from uh, Ross's book on Dusty, Rick and Jim Hurd, Ross says the primary issue was that Rick and Dusty had a nice professional rivalry that they generally kept subdued and under control. But the wild card in that whole equation was Hurd. Hurd had definite feelings about Rick. So, you know, Rick is kind of not saying he's on thin ice, but, you know, the company's not doing well. He's the top guy. You remember the story that Hurd wants to have him cut his hair and put an earring in and call him Spartacus. <laughs> and, you know, Rick does cut his hair. Yeah. For the so, yeah, but it's Black Scorpion. Yeah. So he does cut his hair. He, he, does, he does do that. So um, in this same Observer, Meltzer mentions the joint show between the two companies. Um, he says here that it was that Flair didn't want to go, and it's possible it was because of a rift with Heard in Charlton's book. He says it was possibly a, a payoff uh, issue. So the uh, January fourteenth 
uh, edition of the Wrestling Observer. Dusty was announced as the booker to guys Monday night. Magnum TA was in as a road agent, and the booking team appears to be Rhodes, Wyndham, Magnum, Grizzly Smith, Kevin Sullivan, Ron West, and Jody Hamilton, with the latter two more being messengers. And this is also the time where Dusty changes the Clash of the Champions main event from Flair versus Pillman to Flair Mm -hmm. versus Scott Steiner. This is a time that uh, is interesting because, you know, you can already see Dusty's fingerprints like, okay, Flair and Pillman, good wrestling match, but we need ratings. Who's the big guy? Who's the, you know, who's the athletic kid? Scott Steiner, let's put him and Flair together. And then they have that match on The Clash, which, I mean, I think for most people, um, it was a, a bit of a disappointment. Like, you know, when you think of Scotty Steiner at that time and Ric Flair, you're thinking like, oh, these guys are going to be able to have this great match. And it was it was fine, but it wasn't great. Yeah, I think the, the idea was he was trying to create a new sting moment right there where, where Flair and Stein, uh, Steiner had this great match and Steiner's made, but it just didn't happen. It, was, it wasn't a bad match. It wasn't a horrible match or anything, but it just, you know, Steiner just didn't have that charisma as Sting did. Didn't have that connection as Sting did, though the fans did like Steiner a lot because he did a lot of cool stuff. He looked he looked great, but he just didn't have that that fire. Like Sting had that fire Scott never really had that fire, but he was good too, though you know. And it's unfortunate. I wish I would have loved to see that Pillman match. <laughs> I know, I that know. Would been, that would have been uh, great um, instead of wrestling El Cubano on that show. You know, poor Pillman. Um, so, so before before we even get there to to that clash on January eleventh, nineteen ninety one, Flair beats Sting to become champion again. Originally, the change was to occur at Starcade with Flair wrestling as the Black Scorpion and winning the title, but Sting didn't want to put Flair over in that scenario. Sting refused since he wanted to finish the Scorpion scenario with a victory in the blow-off. At that point, Barry Windham was moved into the Scorpion spot and Flair moved into the tag team. But as it became obvious, the company insisted on the change. Sting agreed to do it on January 11th. Since he did, Flair agreed to put Sting over as the Scorpion at Starcade. So Belt is back on Flair. Sting's reign was about six months ish mm-hmm. as champion. Uh, but you know, as booking booking changes change and and you're you're headed to to the show in uh, with with the New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami and Big Van Vader are battling for the IWGP championship. And uh, and Flair's the guy, and so he he is the guy to sort of lead into into the the spring for this for this show. So on on January twenty eighth, uh, the January twenty eighth version of the Wrestling Observer, Big Dave writes that Big Van Vader regains the IWGP World Heavyweight Title on January seventeenth in Yokohama, pinning Tetsumi Fujinami. So like even as late as. Uh, as mid-January and the, and the Starcade show is uh, two months later, they're still trading the belt. Big Van Vader wins and then Fujinami's going to get it back. Uh, Flair and Scott Steiner go to that time limit draw at the Clash of Champions. And this is an, actually, this is not really related to, to this angle with Flair and Fujinami, but originally Lex Luger was supposed to face uh, Ricky Choshu uh, at that show. <laughs> and uh, he, he just decided that he wasn't going to do it because um, he, well, so originally the thought was he didn't want to do the job. He was going to have to lose the match. 
then somehow Lex had it in his contract that he was only supposed to work U.S. and Canada, and if he had to work Japan, they would have had to pay him more. So then they pulled him out of that match. Good yeah, I don't think he really. I don't think he really wanted to go. I don't. And he think he knew the writer on the wall. You're not gonna. He's not gonna beat a Japanese legend like Ricky Choshu. So uh, yeah, that actually was okay. I, I was okay with Lex not doing that match and not doing that job because he was a U.S. champion and getting uh, you know at that time in a, in a feud with Nikita Koloff. So it would be beneficial for anyone if Luger went out there and lost to Choshu. All right, so now uh, we are about a month out here. And like I said, Fujinami wins the belt back from Big Van Vader to set up the match between he and Flair. And that is going to be the main event of this big, big card, uh, which uh, now the interesting thing is, is I don't remember. Do you remember how you actually watched this show? Uh, Pay-per-view. I ordered it. So you ordered the 10. It was only $10. Oh, I know it was the the best deal because I remember begging my parents for it. Like it's only ten bucks. It's you know, and they're like, okay, you know, basically. And, and I think it was on a Saturday too. I think it aired on a Saturday. It was like a non traditional, you know, pay per view day. So, and it was like what a two hour show as well. One one hour and fifty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very short, and I love this show. I I I was like so excited and giddy to watch it because. My exposure to Japanese wrestling at the time was still via the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines um, and reading results. Um, I was, you know, seeing pictures, so I didn't know what to expect, and I was super excited to watch it because, you know, at that time I had to watch everything and I wanted to see Japanese wrestling. And and of course, you know, my big the match I wanted to see the most was not Flair and Fujinami. Actually, it was. Sting in the Great Muda because yeah. that's you know my was my exposure to Japanese wrestling early on was was the Great Muda as you know when I saw him and he left and I was like man he was like so cool to watch I want to see him again I was so excited to get that rematch because their match at the Great American Bash '89 was such a fun and and, and uh, crazy match that I, I couldn't wait to see that match again. Yeah, so it was actually on March the fourth that Fujinami pins Vader to get the IWGP title back. So it was only like a couple weeks before this Tokyo Dome Mm -hmm. show. Okay, so I will read off the lineup and we will just about cut it off here, but we'll sort of... I don't even know if you remember like which matches showed on that pay-per-view and which didn't, but here's the entire card and you can actually go to New Japan World and watch the entire show in Japanese. Uh, I think it's the entire show because I clicked on the thing and uh, you could go match by match. So... The, uh, the this is the full card and we'll sort of re, you know we'll remember which which ones ended up on the on the uh, US version so the first match was Super Strong Machine and Hiro Saito and Norio Honaga and uh, Tatsutoshi Goto against Kantaro Hoshino Osamu Kido Kengo Kimura and Animal Hamaguchi that was not on the US mm-hmm. version yeah uh, the, the the opener to the U.S. version is Tom Zink and Brian Pillman and Tim Horner versus Kuniaki Kobayashi, uh, ta- uh, Takayuki Izuka, and Shiro Koshinaka. That was actually a pretty fun match. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I enjoyed that match. I remember I remember liking it. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I just remember, um, I remember Tim Horner doing this unique reversal into like a high suplex. I thought he... <laughs> I used to always do that move to my kids. I'm mean, not to my kids, to my friends in um, 
friend in school. I was I was using the Transformer side suplex, but just how he got into his eye, I was like, thought it was so cool. Scott Norton against the Equalizer, who was Dave Sullivan. That was not on the U.S. version. And thank goodness, <laughs> not not nothing really to Scott Norton's, but the fault. It was mainly the Equalizer. Good old Dave Sullivan was was wasn't that great. Arn Anderson and Barry Windham against Masa Saido and Masa Chono. Mm-hmm. Not uh, the, at least the, the the U.S. version that I saw wasn't a super long match, but it was you know tech, technically sound, good match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's getting, I think it was, was it Arn Anderson's first tour in Japan, I believe. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, Eligante versus the Big Cat Curtis Hughes, and uh-huh. Curtis Hughes also had <laughs> also had I think because um, uh, Inoki appears on this show. And I think Curtis Hughes is the guy that gets involved with him in some. I, I've actually not seen the Japanese version of this show, but I think Curtis Hughes is the one who gets involved with Anoki so that you know Anoki can can do his thing because this was the first Tokyo Dome show without Anoki as part of the draw. So he he was actually there, but not wrestling. This was one of the matches that they showed a clip of, on I believe it was maybe. Uh, World Championship Wrestling, or maybe what maybe may have been the NBA, uh, WWE main event. Um, they just showed. Was it? Oh, maybe it was next. I'm sorry, I might be confused because one year they showed a, a clip, and it might have been next the following year, Elegante and Big Van Vader. But I remember like a tease of some sort to watching the show. So it could have been uh, that. Jushin Liger against Akira Nogami for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Mm -hmm. They only showed between four and five minutes of a 16-minute match on the U.S. version of this show. Dude, so, you know, obviously I I was a big, I read PWI and The Wrestler and Inside Wrestling. And when I saw the times of this show, I couldn't believe it. About 16 minutes, they went 16 minutes. And they only showed to me, I thought it was like two minutes, you know. <laughs> yeah, It was yeah. an awesome was two really minutes, short. though. It was all the highlight. Liger doing his big spots to dive out, which I, I think I rewound, like, probably not as much time as uh, Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool <laughs> and fast and high. But, like, <laughs> I had to keep re- rewinding that dive out to the floor was awesome. And then that DET on the top rope was awesome. Um, I mean, I was super pumped to see Jushin Liger and and so crazy because now we're talking about this and he's going to be retiring as in, in i know in a few days so that's pretty crazy uh, yeah and i remember and then well from this match when they started promoting him at the end of the year coming in to challenge brian pillman for the lightweight title from this just two minutes or whatever it was like you said four minutes i was like cannot wait to see jushin liger and they were going to show a match of him on from japan on tv and it was against Chris Benoit. And at the end, I'm like, I want to see more Chris Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> so the next match was Big Van Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow against Butch Reed and Ron Simmons. And the interesting thing about this is they were already mm-hmm. split up. Doom was already split up uh, in the U.S. So the the uh, storyline for them was like, yeah, you know, they're they're not together, but they're they're coming back because this was Contract. booked before they spurt, you know, they yeah before they before they broke but up. But it wasn't so. on the pay per view though. No, it was not on the yeah. pay per view. And then in my favorite match on this show, 
uh, Hase and Sasaki <laughs> against Rick and Scott for the IWGP Tag Team titles. So they both had titles here at this point, right? Yes, it was, all, it was for all the marbles in this one. And uh, this was uh, this was Rick and Scott going over. Now, was this the first time Rick and Scott actually had been in Japan? I believe so. Unless because they, they were... that, that became a big part of the second part of their career yeah. was being in Japan. And this match is so legendary. One match of the year, 1991, in the Observer. Um, it was a cl- one of the best tag matches you'll, you'll ever see. And Scott looked great. Hase was just a... A freaking machine sasaki who's one of my favorite guys like such a powerhouse and you had like they, like they mirror each other and they all did some great stuff and great moves the crowd was going crazy like says match of the year and it cemented um you know major you know main event status for for steiner bros japan and I, I, I every time i think about this match i think about the u.s version just because the end when they win i, I can hear jim ross right now saying the world champions the U.S. champions, IWGP, like they won, like they have three tag yep. titles. And back then, you know, to me, it was all about the championship belts. And I, you know, I followed title histories. Like I loved how long title reigns were and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't believe, like they have three titles. Like this is amazing. They're the greatest team of all time. Absolutely. So yeah, this, this that match was awesome. And whoever's listening and they've never seen that this match, like do yourself a favor. It'll probably be the best match you've seen in a very long time. It's 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 killer. So Sting and Muda is mm-hmm. the next match. Um, Sting actually loses this match, but then at the end uh, uses the Scorpion to kind of uh, you know to kind of get over a little bit at the end. Um, was this was this on the show? Yep, yep, yeah. It was on the show, and you know Sting got it out because it was you know. Green mist, the eyes, and then yep. the moon salt. Yep. So Muda, Muda played heel in front of the yeah. Japanese crowd, which is kind of weird. And I and I I liked the match, but I was also a little disappointed. I probably didn't even understand like back then. Like this poor guy's been doing moon salts for a long time. His knees are probably already starting to bother him. Yeah. So he wasn't the same. Last I remember, in 1989, and this match didn't live up to the Great American Bash 89 match to me. But I enjoyed it because it was Sting, it was great Muda. Muda came out to that great song. I just love that song he had. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was, I mean, it was cool to see that match again. I just, I was just a tad bit disappointed. Plus, it followed that tag team match that was just, just awesome. And in one that was not shown, which was Ricky Choshu against Tiger Jeet Singh, this was the greatest 18 title. This was Anoki's title that he passed on that had to do with all of the, you know, the guys that, that he that he faced. Um, and uh, and then the final match is Flair and Fujinami. And we'll go over that match in heavy, heavy detail next week. And I'll also kind of talk a little bit about um just getting into that match because there you know there's political things going on with when it comes to the finish which we'll talk about in the third uh episode when we talk about sort of the aftermath uh, of the match but there there's tons of political stuff going in who's gonna win mm-hmm. which belt like you're putting you know title for title like in the old school days you know if this is nwa if this is bob backland you know versus the nwa champion that thing's going to a double count out and nobody's winning but here you're doing on pay-per-view you're doing in front of in a tokyo dome you're probably not gonna want to do a a, a finish where there's no winner so you got to dusty finish the thing because you know that's the you got to keep your power in that way so they had a creative way to do it but it ended up 
you know, probably making things for the worst, which we will go into heavy detail next week when we talk about the match. And when we talk about probably when we talk about next week, there's actually three championships on the line in this match, and we'll go into that detail next week. Yes, <laughs> that makes it that makes the thing even even hairier. Which you, uh, when I read this later on in my. You you should have just you could probably see my head exploding in my house when I'm reading this. I'm like, wait, wait, what? Wait, wait, who? And there's a, what? And the, what, there are two titles. What's what? Three titles? Yep. Crazy. Yep. So uh, that'll be it for here, uh, and uh, we will be back next week. There will be both uh, live and uh, NXT and AEW shows next week that we will talk about. And uh, yeah, so this is uh, the second of two shows. Hopefully, you, you got a chance to listen to both. Um, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we're both gonna hopefully watch uh, some of Wrestle Kingdom together. So we'll have we'll have our thoughts next week on that as well. So for John. I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.